One, two, three, vamos! Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. Really excited to welcome back Becca Hart Holder. Joining me today as co-hosts are... Leticia from Boston Red Cloaks. Laura Benesi from the Boston Red Cloaks. Karen Rose from Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, Becca. Welcome back. Great to be here. So, Becca, you launched a new organization. Can you tell us more about it and how can we get engaged with this new organization? Absolutely. This summer, uh, NARAL Portraits America decided to make a change um, in its structure and to no longer have affiliates. Um, so it was an opportunity for us as an organization to really step back and think about our future. And um, we involved the board, we involved the staff, we involved um, elected officials, volunteers, funders. We really took a step back and thought about what we're good at and what's coming down the pipe. And what we know is that this is a state-by-state -state battle. You know, we know that the Supreme Court is poised to do something very terrifying and that we need to go voter by voter. We need to, you know, make people understand the gravity of the situation that we're facing and get them to turn out a vote and get them to stand up and say, this is not good enough in our state. We've already done an incredible job of that in Massachusetts, but we really recognize not only that there was more to do here, but that there was more to do in New England. And so we're, you know, we, we've, we launched last week. I'm really proud of that launch. We are now taking a hard look at what a regional organization will look at and trying to do that really thoughtfully and, and start to reach out to partners um, in the other states to, you know, really talk about what we're good at and how can we augment the great work that they're already doing. The best way to get involved right now is to go to our new website, which is reproequitynow.org and sign up for our volunteer list. Um, that will keep you informed about everything that we're doing. Um, and if you are thinking about making a year-end donation, we would never be sad to have you as one of our investors. Um, so reproequitynow.org is our new website. The shift okay. to the name reproductive equity is really important because the language we've all been using has evolved. And if you could speak a little bit more about what it means to have a reproductive equity framework philosophically, I think that's a, a change that's very welcome. Yeah, I mean, I will say first, we wanted to be very careful not to co-opt the work, uh, the very important work of Black and Brown women who are leading the reproductive justice movement um, and are doing that with extraordinary skill and savvy. Um, but we also, you know, while we are, we remain pro-choice, we felt like we needed more as an organization than choice, that, that simply having the choice isn't enough. If you can't exercise the choice, you, you, you have nothing. It, the, the right is meaningless um, if you can't actually exercise the right. So, so, you know, as we step back, we really thought that fighting for equity really access asks us to examine and fight not just for equal access to care, but what people actually need to access that care without financial burden and without any kind of delay. So I think, you know, equity really calls on us to be intersectional. It calls on us to not just focus on abortion um, care, though that will always remain central to what we do, but to really look at 
you know, the maternal health crisis facing black and brown communities, to look at access to childcare, to look at access to sex ed, to look at, um, you know, STI testing. And, and, you know, I've said this a lot, but really to take seriously um, the role that voting plays in um, making sure that we can, um, you know, have any of these rights at all by electing politicians who share our values. So I think really, looking at the system that prevents us from achieving equity and dismantling it is our goal and and why we wanted to say that so loudly in our name could you help us with some of the legislation that's being bounced around the state house right now that uh directly affects the the, the goals of reproductive equity now and and the achievements you expect yeah, so a couple of pieces of legislation that I'm really proud of. First, we are in the coalition that's pushing for the Common Start Bill, which would um, guarantee universal access to pre-K. As a mom of two young kids myself, I know how critically important it is to have um, access to high-quality, affordable childcare, and indeed keeps women in the workforce. Um, there was a definitely a time during lockdown where I felt like one of us has to quit our jobs because this is not a sustainable um, reality for us. So we're very committed to the Common Start Bill. We're pushing a bill that would end co-pays or cost sharing for the full spectrum of pregnancy care. So that includes terminations, miscarriage management, and labor and delivery. The cost of labor and delivery, the cost of managing a miscarriage, and the cost of abortion care can be prohibitive for people and can prevent you from really realizing the, you know, the right that we all have to decide if, when, and how to start a family. We are also um, working with Representative Savadosa on a bill that I'm really excited about that would guarantee um, access to medication abortion on college, public college campuses. A really important issue when you look across Massachusetts, I'll just use myself as an example. So when I was at Mount Holyoke um, more than 20 years ago, um, I didn't have a car. And I hated asking my friends if I could borrow their car. I was always terrified. What if I got an offender vendor? I don't have enough money to pay for it. I never would ask to use somebody's car or to get a ride. Had I needed um, to go to Planned Parenthood or to go to an independent provider, I would have had to get myself to Springfield. I wouldn't have even had the foggiest idea how to do that. Turns out to do that would take you about four hours round trip on public transportation. And that's unacceptable. There's no reason why people at public universities, so in this case, it would affect UMass Amherst, shouldn't be able to go into the student health center and have the pharmacy stock medication abortion. And I think even more important when you think about folks that are coming from across the country to Massachusetts for school, and who may be losing access in their home state. I mean, this it's just so critically important that we ease access to care and we can do that for a lot of students at public universities in Massachusetts. And finally, we have a bill that would slightly tweak the, the access law, which is our birth control law to um, create a standing order for access to emergency contraception that essentially will make it easier, kind of clarifies the law, to make it easier for folks to go in and get coverage of emergency contraception by their insurance at the point of sale so that they don't have to shell out $50 and then get reimbursed on the back end. You know, I'm really proud um, of that work. We also, you know, have been working with the, the commission that's looking at the maternal health crisis. I think their report is due in the 
spring of um, 2022. And, you know, when they make recommendations about legislation that could help um, end the maternal health crisis, we will be pushing very hard um, on that because that is a, a place where we, you know, we really believe that Massachusetts can and should be leading the nation. So uh, I have a question. What, what would be the best way people can take action in the next few weeks? Well, the legislature is going out of session at the end of this week, um, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, if your legislator is having, a, you know, a meet and greet or a town hall in your town, go talk to them. Talk to them about, you know, your priorities, our priority, I think our shared priorities, it's fair to say, um, show up. I think, you know, those face-to-face -face conversations are so critically important. Ask for a meeting, ask for a phone call. That's really the best value add. When we get back into session in January, there'll be lots of actions that you can take um, through our website. But, you know, right now it's a great opportunity to have a face-to-face -face conversation. I, I was going to ask a question about how the name change. I have to tell you, I am so excited about the name change anyway. Thank you. It's it's so like it encompasses so much more. And uh, you said all this, but it's just, you know, the problem isn't just abortion issues. It's it's so many layers. And um, and I want to go back a little bit, I guess, because um, I was wondering how um, this might your your name change or your you know, mission tweaks might change how this organization now does advocacy is it new new partners you're collaborating with does it allow you to um you know collaborate better with other states you said a little bit um of that but I, i'd love to know more about like what the in-state stuff is yeah I, you know i'll i'll be i'll be very candid that i have been drinking from a fire hose since um <laughs> <I'm> sure, <laughs> since, <I'm sure>. since <laughs> We learned that we were becoming independent. Um, and so your question is right on. It's exactly what I'm thinking about right now. I think we are called upon to be much more intersectional intentionally um, and to really make connections with um, groups that we haven't done as good a job as we need to do in the past. So that's sort of where I see us in Massachusetts is kind of really investing in the organizing and advocacy work to lift up the voices of um, folks who are historically um, kept out of the process. Um, and, you know, I, I want to be really humble when it comes to expansion and start having conversations and start figuring out where can we add the most. Obviously, I have my eye on New Hampshire because of their anti-choice laws and because, you know, even though Governor Sununu is not running against um, Senator Hassan, um, you know, there's a lot of daylight between now and her re-election. And I think that's a place where lots of people from Massachusetts want to go, want to invest their time. Um, and we want to harness a lot of that because, you know, reproductive um, freedom is is on the chopping block and we need the Senate to step up and we need Senator Hassan um, there to protect um, to protect reproductive freedom. So, I mean, I would say I'm in the kind of take a deep breath moment um, and, you know, give myself a pause and then really get to work and kind of put our money where our mouth is. Yeah. There's a lot of shifts in language and it's not so easy. We haven't used our cloaks since the uh, Women's March asked to not have any handmade imagery 
out and about. Um, obviously, Red Cloaks Radio is a different, you know, channel. But one of our signs, one of our posts, we had put a hashtag for pregnant people, and we had signs talking about pregnant people, and received some very challenging messages about that because the person, the people, a couple of people who wrote felt like talking about pregnant people was excluding women. And that's been a controversy with a post that Margaret Atwood put out there. Um, when you're out advocating and language shifts, because some of us are trying to be more inclusive, I'm sure that's something that you've had to deal with is how to you explain to other well-meaning people that we can do better. We can actually be more inclusive and we might be making mistakes without realizing it. What are some ways that you found that you can help move language forward? That's such a good question, Jesse. I really appreciate that question. Um, I think the number one way to move language forward is to own it when you make a mistake. And I make mistakes all the time. I, for reasons that I do not understand, cannot stop saying you guys. I say it all the time. And there are people in my life who I care very deeply about who have called me out on it and I, and they're right to, and I, I am, I say it, I correct myself immediately. You know, I think it's, I think it's as simple in some ways as modeling that behavior. And I think it's about making the tent bigger, saying pregnant people makes the tent bigger. It acknowledges that there are more people um, who are impacted than just women. And I think we always succeed when we make the tent bigger. So I, I really want to, you know, narrate and reinforce how important that tent is. Um, and a little, you know, it goes back to what I said before, just meeting people where they are and talking people through it and, and having that person in your life that you can go to when you're struggling and, and really have honest conversations and, and help you know, move your own thinking, um, and then paying that forward. So I think it's, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's all about connection and owning your mistakes and always trying to do better. It's almost the flip side of that question, which is really about coming from a place of love and kindness and wanting to connect with people. But I do want to loop back to something in the first part we talked about, which is the, amazing capacity that we can use our anger to channel it to do good things. And so I think for all of us on this call, we've been really angry watching Texas laws, watching Mississippi have one clinic left, watching the antis out that the clinic escorts, you know, pink house defenders put out there. There's so much anger directed at people who are just trying to control their own destiny. And that anger is really painful. And then I feel a lot of anger watching the restriction of people's fundamental rights. So I'm curious as someone who sits at the top of an organization, you know, does anger become something that actually helps get volunteers, get donations and help us channel to make the kind of change that, that we made in Massachusetts? Where do you see that balance of work motivated by love and, and some of the work that we've done that is motivated by anger? I think, again, it's a both and. I think, you know, I have done some of my best work when I'm absolutely furious and shaking with rage. And I think it's okay to let that propel us forward. It's not okay to always sit in anger. If we are always angry, we lose. Um, I, I read the op-ed that um, 
that Michelle Wu wrote in the Globe today. And I was so struck. I can't stop thinking about this phrase that she used. She said, we're, we are operating with joyful urgency. And that to me, it's so powerful to, to think about joyful urgency. I, I, I get angry all the time. I get so angry, I'm shaking. And I will not let that anger take control of me. We are motivated by empathy and love and a belief in the fundamental value of every single person. And I think I think we have to I have, I think we have to hold it all at once. And you know, like she said, like the mayor said, in joyful urgency. It is a round of applause to our new mayor in Boston. It's pretty cool for everyone, <laughs> wherever you live. That's part of, I think, where you're going to have this great new chapter because we're all realizing much more that we are one state, we are one country, and building the stronger bridges between the states in New England seems like a great move, really great. Um, we talk here a lot about the power of storytelling, and it would be great to just know what motivated you. How did you end up where you are doing this work? <laughs> Funny, there's not one answer. There's there's many many stories behind that. Um, um, one of those stories is that I am married to a woman, and when we decided to have a family, I mean, I knew my whole life that for me to create a family, even before I met my wife, it was going to take a lot of intervention and work. It wasn't going to be a simple thing, and. I see controlling LGBTQ people and controlling our marriages and trying to control our sex life and trying to control what our families look like as exactly the same fight as trying to control whether or not women um, carry a pregnant, women or pregnant people, there I did it, um, uh, carry a pregnancy to term. And so I think I knew in my early 20s that, you know, my journey to a family was going to have to be very intentional. Um, and I connected it with the right to abortion immediately. I mean, I've said this a million times, but I never felt more pro-choice in my life than I was in my first trimester of pregnancy when I was so sick, I could barely function. And I thought if I didn't want this, if, if this wasn't something that I had been working for, and my family had been devoted to having happened, how would I be functioning right now? It would be impossible because this is awful. <laughs> it was so difficult in that first trimester. So, um, you know, so for me, it really started in the belief that we all, we all have to have the right to create our families, however we define our families and, and wanting to kind of center my professional life in that belief. Awesome. I want to thank you very, very much, Rebecca Hart Holder, for sharing your story. Stories have found their way into my consciousness and those of my dear friends on this call, because we realize that we all have the stories. Sometimes we need somebody to give us a poke and say, <laughs> tell us your story. And just like yourself, you had to filter which one you wanted. But then because you do, then you help other people understand that they have their stories. And when we all share our stories, we realize we're not alone. We realize we are accepted. We realize we are supported. And we realize that 
we have a strength, we have a power to be ourselves. And that's a great ending to any story. <laughs> so we thank you, the current executive director of Reproductive Equity Now. Great story. Thank you. Thank and Becca, tell us one more time where people can find the website address. So it's reproequitynow.org. And we'd love to have you sign up. Join us. We will all sign up. Thank you so very much. And we look forward to following this next chapter. Thank you all. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 